Good evening, everybody. This evening, uh, I'm sure you all are tired after attending uh, this big meeting all day long. And uh, I hope you still have some energy to listen to short uh, Dhamma talk. I will not make it too long, considering our situation. But I like to make this talk on... Uh, very important aspect of uh, the Dhamma. Sometimes when we give uh, Dhamma talks on the, the very basic fundamental principles of Buddhism, some people ask, uh, why don't you talk about, some, about happiness? Why you always want to talk about suffering? Well, there's a good reason for that. This is very uh, legitimate question because people have so much suffering they don't want to hear about it. They rather go on enjoying suffering uh, than uh, hearing about it. So whenever we talk about it, they make them suffer. So they don't want to hear about it. Especially people who have a very little knowledge of Buddhism or Buddha's teaching, reading a book here and there, uh, reading an article or listening to one Dhamma talks and so forth, uh, they come to this conclusion that all we hear in Buddhism is suffering, nothing else. And it is because of their very limited knowledge they come to this conclusion. But the, But that is not all in Buddhism. That is just the going into the root of our human predicament, our own problems. It is because you are, because these people are so immersed in suffering, they don't see anything else in the Buddha's teaching. It is just like uh, when somebody is born blind, stone blind, doesn't see anything uh, naturally. So somebody very cunning fellow would uh, tell him, Mister, I give you very beautiful piece of cloth and you will be very proud to wear that. And people really admire the clothes you are wearing. I like to give that. So this fellow comes and gives him very dirty piece of cloth full of grease, dark in color, and it is so smelly. Nobody even wants to look at it. But this fellow, being stone blind, thinks this fellow has given him a beautiful piece of cloth, and he is wearing that. And he goes around showing to people, look how beautiful I look now. My cloth is so clean, neat. Don't you like my clothes? So other people would look at him and think, how foolish this fellow is. And they simply would laugh and would not say anything. They also go away. So one day, somebody who is very compassionate, have a lot of compassion for him, he pities him and he says, see, this poor fellow thinks this dirty cloth is a clean cloth. Naturally, since he cannot see, that is what he thinks. So he brings a physician 
who can somehow, is is so skillful physician, he prescribed him some medicine and prepares him because he cannot find the medicine, because he cannot see. He prepares the medicine and brings it to him and gives him to drink that medicine. And after using that medicine for a short period, he he gains his eyesight. Then he looks at his piece of cloth and he sees how dirty it is. At that time he feels so embarrassed and he not only becomes embarrassed, he wants to, he hates the person who cheated him. Similarly, when somebody sees only one side of the Buddha's teaching, might think the whole teaching is like that. Who cares for it? We don't need it. But one, like the Buddha himself, opens his eyes by removing his uh, ignorance. It doesn't happen very quickly, but through gradual teaching, training, Buddha opens his eyes. It is just like you can do it very quickly. It has to be done very gradually, slowly, mindfully, with a lot of patience and understanding. Understanding of the person's spiritual faculties. And the Buddha had that skill. It is just like a chicken that lays several eggs. Becomes uh, she she would sit on eggs for a couple of maybe for a minute or so and turn it over and look at the eggs to see whether the chick has come out. Chicks are not out. Then she would sit for another minute and turns it over and finds no chicks. And if this chicken goes on doing that, she will never see chicken, the chicks, because she does not sit long enough on eggs to hatch eggs. Similarly, if some, and then one day, if she decides to, next time when she lays eggs, she decides to sit on eggs long enough to hatch them, and then one day she will see little chicks using their very tiny little beaks, bills and claws, breaking the shell, come out. Similarly, this is a very beautiful simile that Buddha himself used. As we, as the chick, a chicken sit on the egg, we all know what happens. The yolk, which is very soft, yellow part, white part, also very soft, they all become strong and hard and solid and then the embryo grows and chick comes out, breaking the shell. Similarly, when we patiently practice, learn and practice the Dhamma, our shell of ignorance will break up and wisdom grows inside. When the wisdom grows, ignorance, shell of ignorance will break up and we begin to see the truth and reality. So, if somebody sees that Buddha, somebody hears that the Buddha's teaching is only pessimistic, has to learn Dhamma, practice Dhamma, mature, grows and uh, improve one's wisdom, to see how uh, much uh, depth in it. 
and how much more to learn in the Dhamma. And knowing the suffering is one part and the rest is the Buddha's whole mission was to not to make us suffer, but his mission is to make us happy. Unless we have patience and practice, we don't see how happy we can be. If we are not patient, we will remain with this wrong view that his teaching is all pessimistic. And Buddha, Buddha said, if uh, life is all suffering, then there are Nobody will enjoy one second of their life because if the life is all, all suffering, then there is no pleasure at all. And people have many chances of enjoying pleasure and therefore life is not totally, completely, always full of suffering. On the other hand, if the life is completely full of pleasure, happiness, then people become complacent and don't do anything, they simply stay where they are without making any progress, any improvement, get deepening their wisdom and understanding. Therefore, these two, two things must exist together. There must be suffering and there must be a way to get out of it through developing our insight, our wisdom. And Buddha taught the Dhamma sometimes in a very a harsh way. That harsh way is telling us negative side. When you hear the negative side, it uh, makes us feel very uncomfortable. Like he would say, if you kill, you are going to suffer. If you steal, you are going to suffer. If you abuse your senses, you are going to suffer. If you keep telling lies, slandering talks, gossips and uh, harsh words, you are going to suffer. Nobody likes to hear that. And uh, if Buddha said, uh, uh, the truth is the sweetest things in, things in the world, nobody would like that. Because they always have heard the truth is bitter. Isn't it? That's what we always hear. Truth is bitter. But Buddha said, truth is the sweetest things in the whole universe. Why truth is bitter? Because we have garbage in our mind. When we remove the garbage, truth becomes bitter. That is why from his own experience, Buddha said to, the, said to us, truth is bitter, the truth is sweet, because he has removed his old mental impurities and then he saw the beauty of truth. So, harsh way of teaching Dhamma is pointing out the hard part, difficult part of life. And then he taught the Dhamma in a very soft way. What is the soft way? He was talking about uh, lulling, soothing, comforting things in life. Like he would say, practice metta. You will be delighted to experience how comfortable you are, how peaceful you are, how many friends you can make, how comfortable you feel sitting with your, among the people. Now everybody behind you, on, on your side, in front of you, you feel that is my friend. When you feel, when you think that way, wherever you go, everyone you meet is your friend. That's a very lulling, soothing, comforting teaching. That always, of course, is not going to work, but 
at least that teaching is a very real truth. He would say, when you observe moral principles, you don't have to wish to be free from remorse, because it is the nature of Dhamma that when the mind is uh, well-trained, well-disciplined, life is disciplined, thinking is disciplined, you enjoy your life, and whenever you want to, whenever you are alone, you will not feel from remorse, no, not suffer from remorse. Uh, you will not feel guilty, you will not feel that your whole body is burning, and your whole body is possessed by a demon. When people feel guilty, when they have committed something unwholesome, wrong, that's how they feel. They feel very uncomfortable, very unhappy, full of remorse, full of guilt. But Buddha said, when you observe moral, noble principles, you will not have that, because that is the nature of Dhamma. It naturally makes you free from remorse. When a person is free from remorse, does not have to wish, may I be full of joy? It comes to you naturally when you observe moral principles. You not only do not have remorse, but you always are full of joy. When you are full of joy, you don't have to wish to be happy, to, to relax, to uh, be tranquil. It comes to you naturally. When you are tranquil, you don't have to wish to be happy, because it is the nature of Dhamma that when the body and mind are tranquil, you are happy. When you are happy, you don't have to wish to see things as they really, to gain concentration. Buddha says, Sukhino chittang samadhyati. When you have, when you are happy, you are settled, you are content, and then you gain concentration. Whenever you try to gain concentration, meditation, you gain concentration. When you gain concentration, you don't have to wish to see things as they really are, because that is the nature of concentration. And next point is even more interesting. When you gain concentration, you don't have to... When you gain concentration, you see things as they really are. When you see things as they really are, when you see things means the mind, concentrated mind, penetrates the reality, and that mind sees things as they really are. You don't have to make a special wish to do that. When the mind sees things as they really are, then what happens? That is a very interesting thing. When we begin to see things as they really are, we become dispassionate. Dispassion sounds like very negative thing, depressing thing, disappointing thing. Friends, the dip, uh, uh, dispassion is not something negative. That is the most positive mental state. How and why? Just like this uh, blind man seeing, uh, uh, thinking that he was wearing uh, clean clothes and showing it to others and being very proud of a cloth, as soon as he opens his eyes, he sees how dirty it is. And he thinks, I have all my life being blind, I have not seen anything now, anything. 
Now I see things as they are. I have no reason to be proud. When we see things as they really are, Buddha said we become dispassionate. Dispassion comes from wisdom, from deep wisdom, deep understanding. Buddha gave a very beautiful simile. Whenever Buddha wants to explain very tricky, subtle point, if it is, it, he thought it might not be very clear to the listeners, he always came up with a beautiful simile. His simile was, you see children playing in, the, in a beach. If you are not close to a beach, you suppose you are in a, a very cold winter days, uh, you have a lot of snow, you would do the same thing. You make a snowman, not realizing this snowman is going to melt. But as a child, you really enjoy making the snowman, putting eyes, putting colors, putting lips, putting hair, putting everything to look like a human being. And a child really enjoys that. If the child goes to a seashore and builds a sand castles, and child really enjoy this sand castle, and one day the child says, this is silly, I cannot build a castle like this. But when he was building the castle, child really enjoys it. Another example, and Buddha himself mentioned this, this simile. Little girls, very tiny little girls, sometimes cook. They have imaginary pots, imaginary spoons, imaginary knives, imaginary plates, imaginary cups, imaginary ingredients, all in their mind. But in reality, there is nothing to see. But they cook. In their imagination, they cook. And then they, when the adults are there, mother, father, uncle, aunt or somebody, they pretend to feed you with that food. You also just open the mouth and pretend to eat that food to please the child. You know, as an adult, that you are just pretending to please the child. But in the child's mind, this is a real thing. As an adult, you know, you are not interested. You are just trying to please the child. So when you grow up, you don't behave like that. You see, this is just silly. What I did as a little child, it was silly. Why? Because you have matured, you gain deep understanding, insight, and you are a grown-up adult, you don't, you are not interested in it. Similarly, Buddha said, when we see things as they really are, we are not angry, we are not depressed, we are not disappointed, but we are, we will be disenchanted. So, so he taught the Dhamma in a lulling, soothing way, that is called teaching Dhamma in a soft way. And the other way of teaching Dhamma is the mixture, mixture of both, hard way, and soft way. That means, he would say, if you commit such and such an offense, you will be reborn and you will suffer the consequence of your own deed. But if you do wholesome things, you will enjoy the benefit, the results of your wholesome deeds. So he put both, explaining both at the same time. He first shows the harmful effect of harmful deed, and then he shows beneficial, meaningful, pleasant effect of 
harmless, meaningful, beneficial deed. So, sometimes when somebody listens to him, some individuals, if they pay total mindful attention, attain enlightenment instantly. By the end of the sermon, while sitting on the same cushion, they attain full enlightenment. They are called Uggatitanya. Uggatitanya means, Uggatana means coming in contact. As soon as the person comes in contact with the Dhamma, that instant the wisdom eye opens and then person attains the first level, second level, third level, fourth level of enlightenment. There are very beautiful incidents. One day three monks came to see the Buddha and they said to the Buddha, Venerable Sir, one of them said, Venerable Sir, if I live long enough for one whole day and one whole night, that is enough, that time for me to attain enlightenment. The other monk said, if I live long enough to collect my food and finish it, eating, that is long enough for me to attain liberation. Another monk said, if I live long enough just to chew and swallow one morsel of food, that is long enough for me to attain enlightenment. The last one said, Venerable Sir, if I live long enough to take one inhaling and one exhaling, that is long enough for me to attain enlightenment. How is that possible? Is it long time? I mean, breathing one inhaling, one exhaling, doesn't take too long. But this, this is the kind of individual who sees everything in one inhaling and one exhaling. What are the everything? In one inhaling, in one exhaling, he sees anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and selflessness. Impermanence of what? Impermanence does not exist by itself. There has to be something to be impermanent. Unsatisfactoriness is not something existing by itself. There has to be something to be unsatisfactory. Selflessness does not exist by itself. There has to be something to be selfless. What does he see in one inhaling and one exhaling? He sees all the five aggregates. All the five aggregates in one inhaling and one exhaling. How is that? Every breath we inhale, breath is a form. What makes a form? To make something a form, it has to have elements, earth element, water element, fire element, air element, at least, basic, simple, four elements. Our breath is made up of these four elements. When we breathe in and out, we feel the touch of breath. The touch comes from the earth element. When we breathe in and out, sometimes we experience the breath hot, sometimes cool. That is because of the presence of heat element. When we breathe in and out, we sometimes uh, experience moisture. Sometimes breath is dry. That is because of the presence of water element in the breath. When we breathe in and out, we experience air going in and out. That is the air element. All the four elements are in the breath. What else can this person see in one breath? The breath does is a form, and as we, that is the form aggregate, 
as we breathe in and out, we feel the breath. That is the feeling aggregate. We perceive the breath, mentally and physically feeling the breath. That is perception aggregate. We pay volitional or attention, mindful attention to the breath. That mindful attention is volitional formation aggregate. And we are fully conscious of the breath. That is consciousness aggregate. So this particular individual coming in contact this reality, breathe in and breathe out, that alone is enough for this person to attain full enlightenment. And such a person is called Uggatitanya. When the, Buddha, when the Buddha saw somebody like that, with that kind of keen, sharp, deep insight, Buddha would give him a very brief instructions, like Bahya Daruchirya. What did he teach Bahya Daruchirya? He simply said, Ditte Dittamattang, Sute Sutamattang, Vinyate Vinyatamattang. That means, be aware of what is seen as seen, what is heard as heard, what is smelled as smelled, what is tasted as taste, what is touched as touched, what is known in the mind as known. That's all he taught. While listening to that little very brief pithy statement, Bahidaruchiri attained full enlightenment. And when he wanted to become a monk, Buddha said, Now I cannot make you a monk without uh, your three robes. Go and find robes. When he was going out, there was a cow that just had given birth to a calf and she was very protective of her calf and she attacked this man and killed him. But he died as an arahant, fully enlightened arahant. So when we see this kind of things, people sometimes can ask, uh, how come I don't attain enlightenment like that? This individual heard only such a short brief statement and attained full enlightenment. And therefore... We have to know the teaching in teaching properly to come to a conclusion. So, exactly like somebody who hears the suffering would say, would come to a conclusion that that's all Buddha taught. So, the second type of person is called Vipanchitanya. Vipanchitanya means uh, one who attains enlightenment by listening, thinking, analyzing, and taking little time, practicing mindfulness. And that person attains enlightenment. It may not take too long. Maybe a day, two days, a month and so forth. Third person is called Nyaya. Nyaya is a very interesting person. He, needs, he listens to Dhamma, analyzes the meaning. Dhammaṁ sunāti sutta dhammaṁ dhāri dhātanaṁ dhammaṁ atthaṁ upaparikati and so forth. Listen to Dhamma, memorize the Dhamma, and then keep thinking of the meaning of the Dhamma he has memorized, and then deepen understanding of Dhamma, and meets a Kalyana Mitta. Kalyana Mitta means excellent friend. Excellent friend gives additional instructions, support. And then keep having, this person will also keep practicing Mindful reflection, yoniso manasikar, mindful reflection. <clears throat> when all these factors are combined, 
this person will attain enlightenment. This is the third person. Fourth person is uh, one, is Pali word, is very interesting. I always go to Pali words because the meaning is so clear and precise. What is the Pali word? Pada Parama. Pada means uh, line or word. Parama means paramount. This person, the best is word. He likes to play with words. He likes to collect words. He likes to collect theories. He likes to learn, read books, write articles, and place with words. And that person will have no time to practice because the person playing with words. And that is why even in meditation we recommend people not to play with words. Don't use words. Because you will be enjoying words <laughs> without seeing what is behind word. So, however, if this person is well guided, well directed and uh, met a Kalyana Mitta, excellent friend, even this person can attain enlightenment in this life. Like a very famous example, uh, Pothila. Pothila, I think many of our traditional Theravada Buddhists know, Pothila was a very a good, very successful teacher. He had many, many students. People, students are fighting to get into his class because he was such a successful stu- teacher. And he was very glad that he had so many students. But Buddha would call him empty-headed Pothila in front of all other monks, all other students, lay people. Buddha would call him empty-headed Pothila. Did you have your lunch? Empty-headed Pothila, come and sit down. Empty-headed Pothila, how are you? And it is so embarrassing to him, even, you know, even the Buddha calling him empty-headed Pothila. So he began to think. He was a very, very smart, uh, uh, intelligent monk. Otherwise, how can he be a, such a good, successful teacher? He began to think, why Buddha called me empty-headed? I know so much. I have so many students. So many students respect my wisdom, my knowledge. But the Buddha called me empty-headed. So one day, after teaching the class in the afternoon, without telling anybody, he ran away from the monastery, looking for a quiet, suitable place and looking for a good Kalyanamitta to learn how to meditate. And Pothila was... Pada Parama. He loves learning, loves teaching, loves playing with words, but at the same time he was very intelligent. And he went to a remote place and there he found a young monk and he, without asking his age, his verses, just knelt before him and asked him, could you teach me how to meditate? Then this young bowed down to him and said, Venerable Sir, you are my teacher. I have learned from you. You are embarrassing me. I cannot teach you. Please go to so and so. He sent him to junior monk. <laughs> he went to the junior monk. And he, again he bowed down to him. And the junior monk also said, My goodness, Sir, 
you are my teacher. You are embarrassing me. Bowing down to me. Go to the next. So they kept on sending him more junior, more junior, more junior, until he went to a novice, seven-year-old novice monk. He just was ordained and bowed down to him and said, Please, Vendamas, teach me how to meditate. And he said, Well, he knew that all other monks sent this teacher to him for good purpose. He did not deny, he did not say, Sir, you are elderly monk, I am a novice. He did not say that. He said directly, Vendamas, Sir, if you want to learn meditation, here is a pit of mud, a little pond full of mud. Get into that. This monk was wearing very neat robes, clean robes. Without any question, he got down to this pond of mud. And uh, that instant, this novice did not let him kneel down. He called him back and gave him a subject of meditation. By listening to this very word of the subject, this monk attained enlightenment. So, even the Padaparama, one who plays with words, can attain enlightenment, provided he meets the right person, Kalyanamitta. And he had, he was so intelligent that he was able to use his mindful reflection. As he knew the theory, all he needed is a key to open wisdom and attain enlightenment. So, Somebody, without knowing the entire picture of the Buddha's teaching, may come to a conclusion that Buddha taught only suffering. But but Buddha always taught a way to get rid of suffering by following various skillful means, many, many skillful means, Buddha taught. And that's what he did for 45 years and he gave sermons in many different ways. He would have given only one sermon for the entire life because he taught only one thing. He said, from the day I attained enlightenment till I, till I came to this level, that means when he was going to pass away, he said, all these 45 years I taught only suffering and its end. To teach these two words, he didn't have to spend so many Yes, in one sermon he could have given everything. However, the world is not like that. world is full of trillions of different types of people with trillions of different mentality, mental states. Therefore, he gave many different types of sermons in a different way for people to, according to their mentality, their spiritual growth, growth of spiritual faculties, their karma, their paramis, and so forth. And that is why we find variety of teachings in the Buddha, in the Buddha's, varieties of the Buddha's teaching. Friends, since I promised at the beginning, I did not, don't want to go into long discourse. I think this may be enough for tonight as a short Dhamma talk. I am very pleased that you did not fall asleep. (laughs) and uh, <laughs> stay awake to listen to this number talk. Uh, thank you very much.